Thank you, Aaron and Mary. Thank you for leading us in worship today. We appreciate that. See, we can do it without drums and guitar sometimes, but uh, great time that we've had. Would you find in your Bibles Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16, we've got a focus verse on verse 26, but uh, we're going to be looking at some other verses around there. So if you'd grab a Bible, uh, you may have one there in the seat in front of you. If not, most of you got a smartphone. I bet you could find it, but I'd love for you to look at uh, these verses that we're reading today and have that in front of you. Today, we know that there are many traveling today, but uh, many have come. You've come. We're glad that you've come today. First service was rather full. and We appreciate all those who've come and uh, appreciate all those who will be watching live stream today. We know we always have a fairly good group watching and probably even more so today. And uh, so we're glad that you've come. Appreciate the opportunity to be a part of worship today. We're in the midst of what we're calling kind of a three-week sermon series on Who's Your Three? And a part of that Who's Your Three is we're encouraging all those who are members, all those who are believers, even if you're a guest today, you can take part in Who's Your Three because we're encouraging you to come up with one to three names of people who are lost or unchurched that you'll be praying for the rest of this year. It may be beyond that as well, but we just want to have an atmosphere and kind of part of our culture in which we are always praying for lost people, for those who are unchurched, seeking to invite them to make relationships, invite them to a place where they can hear the gospel, hopefully here at Parkway Baptist Church, and encourage you also be ready to share testimony and share the good news of the gospel. Last couple of weeks, we've had folks who've been laying these names on the altar. You've got there in front of you, uh, uh, you've got one of these cards. You can tear apart, put the same names on both cards, and you can, uh, at the end of the service, you can lay them here at the altar. We've had that now through about five services. have had people laying names, sometimes even after the service or during the week, and uh, and so we're encourage you to do that. Uh, one to three names, you put initials if you'd like, and just that you're praying for those, and we'll be praying for all of these cards and all these names and those who laid these down uh, uh, as well. Probably pick it up this week, though. It's been down here, be three Sundays that has been here, but may that not stop our culture of praying for others who need to know Jesus. It is what we're about, uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus, exalting his name, and being sure that we're making disciples as part of the Great Commission as well. We are in Acts chapter 16, and I want to read to you verse 26, then we'll go back and read some other verses. But we find verse 26 in the New International Version. It says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone chains came loose. Here in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey. Some of you know this story very well as they come. And uh, after sharing the gospel and some coming to know Christ, uh, they have uh, come into some uh, opposition, of course, to the gospel. And uh, they are thrown into prison. And this is when these events occur. And so uh, let's read a little bit of this and you'll have more understanding. We'll talk about these verses. Verse 25 after they had been thrown in prison, it says, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. We have a member of our church by the name of Jack Smith. He has written a couple of books. Uh, one of those books, first book he wrote was called My Father the Ghost. Uh, second book that he wrote was called Moments in Time. Now the first book I thought was a great book and it was my favorite. And then I read his second book in Moments in Time. It's a little bit of an autobiography and I'm, I'm in a blurb. My name is mentioned in his book as his pastor. So now I kind of like the second book maybe just as well. But in the first book called My Father the Ghost, it is called that because his father was the sheriff in Lawrence County in the 1950s. And as the sheriff, he was called the ghost by all the moonshiners who lived and tried to hide from him in the hills and the hollers because suddenly he would just kind of show up in the midst, often at night. And uh, they would just, uh, he was legendary by how he would come and he'd find moonshiners over his years as sheriff. He busted up about a thousand stills, rested hundreds uh, for moonshining in those days. Now, Jack, when he was a kid, his father was a sheriff, they lived in the jail. Or the one floor had the jail, another floor had the residence. So he had lots of stories, and he tells that, of course, in the book. And one story he tells about the receiving in the jail an 11-year-old boy who had been convicted of stealing something that cost less than a dollar, but his mom refused to put the 11-year-old boy behind bars. Jack could not remember his real name in writing the book, but he's only known as Screwdriver. So Screwdriver lived with the family in their residence and would go everywhere the sheriff went. In fact, they bought clothes for him. They sent him to school. And even on the day was parents' night. Well, Jack's mom went as his parent, as his mom when they went to that particular night. Well, because of the writing of the book, Jack and Screwdriver had a reunion. He found out his real name and Screwdriver's now a businessman living in Chicago. Who knows what would have turned out had it not been for the Smith family. As I read this story this week in Acts chapter 16 about the conversion of this jailer and his family who lived on the premises. They either lived, had a residence in the jail or there that was very nearby. I could not help but think of Jack and the stories told in his book. By the way, I don't get... Uh, I know he doesn't give me anything for uh, mentioned in his book, but every hundred books that he sells, he gives me another golf lesson, so that's okay. Uh, but uh, some of those who frequented the Lawrence County Jail were mean and scary. Some of those who came to the Lawrence County Jail were lost and scared. Some of them became trustees. Some became family and even good friends. Likely in the jail at Philippi that we read about here in Acts chapter 16, there were many different sorts, all who were in the need of a witness about Jesus the most unique inmates ever, I'm sure, in the city jail at Philippi were these two men who sang and prayed and worshiped before others in the most unlikely place at midnight because they had an encounter with Jesus. And in this story, these two prisoners made an eternal impact on the jailer and his family and on many others. Now this is Paul's second missionary journey. This time he is with Silas. Paul receives a vision while he is traveling a missionary journey of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so Jack, so it wasn't Jack, it was Paul that got into a boat along with Silas and they traveled from Troas in modern day Turkey and they traveled to Macedonia, which is now Northern Greece. 
And there they come to the city of Philippi. And this is significant for you and I, whether you know it or not. It is significant because it's the very first time in which Paul and Silas and the gospel message was taken on the European soil. Now, it is significant because probably for most of us, if we were to trace our spiritual heritage, it would have European roots. We're grateful for Paul and Silas and other missionaries who follow God's calling to share the good news and go where God's call was. Paul's tradition when he came to a city was to go and find a synagogue. But in the city of Philippi, there was no synagogue, not enough Jewish men in order to have a synagogue. But when you own missions, you learn to be flexible. So he heard about a group of women who went out and prayed by the river on the Lord's day. So he goes on the Lord's day and he finds these women. And one of those particular, and this may be the one that you've heard of and that you know, was by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of purple goods. She was a businesswoman and she opens up her heart to Jesus. In fact, before then, she is called a worshiper of God. But now she's heard about Jesus. She opens up her heart. She receives Jesus as her Savior. Those in her household also receive Jesus and they're baptized. In fact, Paul and his companions, they stay in the household of Lydia. Well, on one day, they're walking, getting ready to go to the prayer meeting there by the river. And as, she, as they're walking, the Bible tells us that there's a slave girl who is demon-possessed. And she's beginning to follow Paul and Silas and she's yelling over and over, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, you might not think that's a very bad thing to holler but, or to yell at Paul and Silas. But the Bible says that Paul became annoyed at that, probably because it was not a demon who was to share that, but it was those who were followers of Jesus. And she was the one who was making money for her masters as a fortune teller. And the Bible says that he turned and he cast out the demon. Well, her masters, realizing that their money maker had now been changed, seized Paul and Silas, drug them before the city magistrates and claimed that they were troubling the city. Now I want you to remember that phrase, troubling the city. And the Bible says then they stripped Paul and Silas, beat them with rods, with many blows, threw them in the innermost part of the jail, and they put their feet in stocks. Now, the most obvious lesson that we learn, I think, from Paul and Silas is even when we go through stressful times or tough times or maybe even persecuted because we're following Jesus, that we continue to give praise and worship to God. It's easy to give praise during the good times, kind of like the football player who makes the touchdown and falls to one knee and gives thanks to the Lord, and that can be a great witness. But what about when we're not making the touchdowns and when things are really tough. In fact, the scripture tells us to be thankful in all things, to be thankful in all situations. Some people have it tougher than others, but we must continue to seek to daily keep confidence in Christ and always be intentional in bringing praise and glorify his name. In fact, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by songs of the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. Well, at midnight, when there might have been cries of discomfort and pain, instead of singing, the prisoners were astonished to hear the singing and prayers. But understand the Christian spirit that is being submissive to the Lord Jesus is a conquering spirit. It's welled up in Paul and Silas. May we be challenged by that spirit determined to give God praise and thanks no matter what our circumstances, but not just because things could be worse. 
I mean, the prison was already shaken up that night. It was rocked by the midnight prayer and praise service and all the prisoners were listening and paying attention, but God was about to rock the jail literally and physically and most important, spiritually. Now, I want you to watch what happens when you introduce people to Jesus. Today, we're talking without apology that we wanna encourage you as part of our Who's Your Three to be ready to share Jesus with others, to be ready to pray, be ready to invite, be ready to share certainly as well. So I want you to watch what happens if we'll introduce people to Jesus. But if you're here today and you need to know Jesus, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe somebody listening today or somebody here today that does not know for sure that they have a home in heaven, they have Christ in their heart. Well, today's Lord's going to be speaking to you and you're going to be able to understand this is what happens if I give my life to Jesus. And if you're a believer today, you need to also, I want you to have a clear understanding, but because you're a believer, these are the things that should have already have happened or be happening in your life and continue to happen as well. Notice our key verse, verse, 20, verse 26 of Acts 16. Notice the very first part of that. It says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. This is what happens when you introduce people to Jesus. There are shaken foundations. Shaken foundations. The church is the body of Christ. We're God's agent to shake the foundations of the world. The church with Jesus as the head moving in step with the Spirit of God is an unstoppable force. Sometimes when we look at things happening in the world, we sometimes seem to cower or maybe throw our hands up or to think, oh, how terrible things are. What is it that we can do? What's a person to do? What's a Christian to do? But as I look at the Word of God and experience the power displayed by our Lord Jesus Christ there and even today, I realize we've been looking at this thing all wrong. When we see all the evil that's happening in the world and all the darkness that's in the world today, May it be our duty to resolve ever more so that we will keep our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than any power that happens in this world. Decide that we're going to trust in Christ and we're going to love people more. We're going to show the love of Jesus to people, all people. We're going to have compassion for those who are in need. Pity the group, the person, the judge, the president, the nation that stands on the opposing side of God and his holy church. So the question is not, does God want to shake the foundations of the city? Will he shake the foundations of this country, of the world in which we live? It's not a question, it's a prayer. Lord, let us be a part of it. Notice in the verses we read in Acts chapter 16, there are three foundations that were shaken in Philippi within a 24-hour period. We know the foundations of the prison were shaken. An earthquake happened that says the foundations were shaken. We read it a moment ago. The Philippian jailer and his household came to know Jesus. They heard the good news of the gospel. Salvation came to that family. The foundations of that household were shaken. But also the foundations of the entire city was shaken. In verse 20 of Acts chapter 16, after they complained about Paul and Silas, particularly the masters of that slave girl who was demon-possessed but no longer had the demon, wasn't making money for them, they came and they complained to the city magistrates said, you know, they're disturbing our city. Depending on your translation, it may say that they're troubling the city. Well, three foundations that need to be shaken today. One of those is our world. We realize that the world in which we live, that many or most, the world, what the world thinks is true is false. Truth is only found in Jesus. It may be also that the foundations of the church need to be shaken. Do we trouble our city enough with the good news of the gospel? I, I wonder sometimes even if we, if we trouble our church folk enough. I mean, give me an uh, 
air-conditioned, well-padded pew or chair and not too long or boring preacher, maybe I'll be okay. Before the world gets shaken up, the church is going to have to be shaken. Shaking off some of our old foundations, those things that are not grounded on the solid rock, move away from whatever's lost its meaning and get down with the business of troubling this world with the good news. Do you think God may want to bring some changes to our attitudes or maybe our motivations and even some of the things that we do? Listen, Parkway Baptist Church, I am so grateful and thankful to be a part of what God has been doing in our church over the last few months, the last few years, and even the last decade that we continue to see God at work in our church of our life, the many ministries and individuals in our church. But even, uh, but I'm reminded even often that uh, we're not where yet where we need to be. We're just getting started. We realize that we can need to continue to be all that we can be as a church, all that God desires for us to do. One of the foundations also that may need to be shaken is my heart and yours. The good news of the gospel has not changed. The same Lord that rocked and shook the city of Philippi, wrought the jail off its foundation, turned the jailer's household upside down, may want to shake some of our foundation. Message remains the same. He who is the foundation is the same today Yesterday and forever. I, I'm not so much worried that we keep up with the latest trends or the latest worship styles or we're following the greatest programs that may be out there that somebody wants to sell to us, but I am concerned that we keep in step with the Lord Jesus. We continue to be a part of His work that He wants to do today. Our foundations are not so much based on style as where our heart is where we place our faith and trust. When the church talks about the church being built up of living stones, it also talks about that our foundation is the living Lord Jesus. So if we're building on tradition or self-reliance or what this world has to offer, well, the Bible refers to these things as shifting sands that will not stand up against the storms. Ah, but if your foundation's in Jesus, the storms may come, the waters may rise, there could be dark times that are happening around us, but your house built on the solid rock will stand. But anything not built on Jesus alone needs transformation. Anything not built on Jesus alone needs transformation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. When you introduce someone to Jesus and they believe in him, their world changes. Their foundation, meaning where they place their confidence and trust, is in Jesus alone. But something else happens also when you introduce someone to Jesus. Notice verse 26 again, our key verse. The first part of that says, Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open. When you introduce someone to Jesus, shut doors will open. At the midnight hour in a dark jail cell in the innermost dungeon of the prison, we hear praise and prayers coming from the city jail in Philippi from two men who had been beaten over and over again with many blows. Already God was doing a mighty work as they had caught the attention of the prisoners in the jail that night. And the prisoners are listening to the prayers and the praise. Paul and Silas were not preaching at that point. They were in prayer, lifting up prayers and pray. You know, there's probably something about the 12 o'clock midnight hour that's not made for preaching. Some of you would say there's something about the 12 noon hour that is not made for preaching, maybe particularly if you're hungry. 
The point is that the 12 o'clock hour, midnight, Paul and Silas were not preaching a sermon. If they had been, probably the prisoners might have uh, turned over and gone back to sleep, but they were demonstrating God's remarkable power. There may not be a more powerful testimony than a believer who continues to give praise, lift up prayers and thanksgiving to God, even during the dark times and during the tougher times in all situations and circumstances. When we do, we capture the attention of those around us because of the power and the praise of God. Shut doors are open. Opportunities that may not have been there before during when things are going well for you may be there when you continue to rely upon him during the tougher times. Uh, if we continue to share God's love and show that we believe in Jesus. Would you say that we have... Uh, more freedom of religion today in our country than we did, say, 200 years ago? Would you say we have more freedom of religion today than we had 50 years ago or maybe 5 or 10? Probably most people would say we don't have the same, some of the same freedoms or maybe we don't have some of the same freedoms from Christianity today in this country. But do you know that in Jesus, our freedoms never change? In Christ, many doors are already open. In Christ, many doors are already open. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32, he said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say it depend on what country you live in. He didn't say it depend on the political climate or what some judges were doing or what's happened in Congress. But because you've given your life to Jesus, you're set free. You're set free from sin and guilt. You're free to follow God's plan for your life. Use your freedom to honor God to serve others and to share with others. How do we know the events happening in your life today, events happening in our country today or in our world today that God's not using to do a great and mighty work? He used a pagan court in Philippi in Acts 16 to set the stage for a great and mighty work, to set the stage for opening doors to the gospel so others might be able to know him through the midnight prayer service. Speaking of prayer, we probably have three generations represented here. Uh, in this room of those who know about prayer in school. Because for some of us, when we were in school, we prayed every day in school. We prayed, start the day. Teachers prayed, students prayed, coaches prayed, prayed before and after ball games, even in school. And then some of us know about how we talked about prayer. And we talked about how we could do it legally and students needed to lead prayer. And maybe we could pray here, but not there. Some people got in trouble for praying in school and some maybe still do today, but we're raising a generation that if you ask them about prayer in school, they say, what is that? What is it that is prayer in school? Now we could weep about such things and we could certainly be sorrowful and wonder what in the world can we do about it, but here's what I want us to do. I'm using this as an example, when these things happen in the world, remember that God's power is greater than any power on this earth. Look for opportunities, not only to pray personally, but to pray with others, but to share the difference that Jesus makes in your life. We're hearing of revivals today that are happening particularly on college campuses and more than just one. And even recently we hear of students who are praying on the campus of Auburn University in different places and gathering together to be able to pray that there might be a revival that takes place. In fact, in this country and many countries around the world, the many great revivals and great awakenings began with students who were on fire for Jesus. We, we have many open doors for the gospel. For It's Jesus who decides whether the doors are open or not. In fact, in one of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, 
Jesus was talking to the church in Philadelphia and he said, I have opened a door for you that cannot be shut. So maybe it's not a question of whether we have open doors. It's a question of whether we're going to walk through taking advantage of the opportunities to be an influence for Jesus and introduce others to him. Are you, are you catching this? For those connected to Jesus, there'll always be open doors for kingdom purposes. Even when there's crises, even when there's situations in your life or happening in the world, and sometimes maybe even more so in those crises. Prison doors actually open the doors for others to come to know Jesus. You've got it in your notes, but let's ask the question, why were Paul and Silas singing? We know what they were singing. In fact, the Bible says they were singing hymns. By the way, this generation's uh, choruses are the next generation's hymns, but why were they singing? Three times Paul tells us later in one of his letters, he said that he was beaten three times almost to the point of death. If you count the times in which he was beaten, this is one of those times, almost to the point of death. Yet here he is singing. Well, why is he singing? We're given a clue because it says that they were singing to God. But we remember the words of Jesus when he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward in heaven. Listen, nobody sings because they've been beaten. But they're singing because they were considered worthy. Because Jesus loved them, they were worthy even to have suffered for the sake of Christ. God considered them worthy. Well, what do you think Paul and Silas were praying? It says they were praying. So imagine, you can imagine, it's okay. What would you have been praying in this particular case? They must not have been praying for escape because when the prison doors opened, they didn't. Escape, that is. And they must have had such an influence on all the other prisoners because when the prison doors opened, they didn't escape either. They probably didn't pray something like, Lord, why have you caused this to happen? We come here to be missionaries. What kind of missionary are we going to be able to do in here? They probably didn't pray that. Have you considered when you're in a difficult place what you need to pray for? It's okay to pray for healing. It's okay to even ask the Lord why. And then submit to Him and ask the Lord to help you to deal with whatever situation or crisis that you may be in. But it may be that in your prayer that you want to be sure to think not just about yourself, but how the Lord might be able to use this for His benefit and for kingdom purposes. After they were severely beaten, their rights trampled on, they were put into the inner prison, left shackled in the dark, and they began to pray. They are praying for open doors. Lord, may whatever's happening to us, may we still honor and open a door for those who are far away to be brought close and for more people to come into the kingdom. Maybe that should be our prayer. The physical illness and financial problems in a relationship or in a family, anybody here having a dysfunctional family, don't raise your hand about that. May we not live such defeated lives the ones who are imprisoned by sin today will listen when we stop worrying so much about ourselves or about how our rights are being trampled on and infringed and praise God for considering us worthy of salvation that he loved us so much even though we are not worthy and how much greater power his is than any power on this earth. Paul and Silas were more interested in kingdom work and the witness of the church in that city. That should be our priority as well. The prison doors were open that night, not so the prisoners could escape, but so that the jailer could come in. 
seeing the prison doors open, the jailer came in. The Bible says he was about to kill himself because he knew that he was responsible. His very life was responsible for keeping these prisoners and would require his life if they escape. But Paul called out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. The ironic or the interesting thing is, is that it was not Paul and Silas who were really in prison, it was the jailer who was in prison by his own sins. It was the jailer who had no hope, particularly at about that time, saw his life as hopeless and would have taken his own life. Had Paul not yelled out, we are all here, do not harm yourself, he would have died hopeless and spent an eternity separated from God. For the last couple of years, we as a church, we have, we've kind of felt that we need to address how we might be able to help those who have some mental health challenges. Last year, actually in 2021, we offered a Bible study on helping people facing depression or helping our members to help people who are facing depression. And then this past January, we had a Bible study that, and we've had some emphasis on helping members who may be called upon to help people contemplating suicide. We had a Wednesday night study in January, a weekend workshop called ASSIST, ASSIST, A-S-I-S-T, stands for Applied Suicide and Intervention Skills Training, to help people, to help others who are contemplating suicide. But because of the emphasis we've had this year, it's caused me to look at this passage a little bit differently. Because there are so many people who actually believe they have no hope, who think that all their opportunities are gone and frankly see no use in spiritual things or maybe even in life itself. But we must call out with a loud voice, not a program, not a tradition, not a building. It's got to be the church. It's got to be the body of Christ. It's got to be those who are followers of Christ to call out the message is the same. We're all here. Do not harm yourself. Do yourself no harm. And we need to point people to Jesus, that he's the answer. And the real connection, when real connection takes place, shut doors are open. Well, there's something else that happened. Notice again, Acts 16 and verse 26. We're using this as our outline. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, foundation of the prison door was shaken. Once all the doors flew open. And the last part, and everyone's chains came loose. If you're following in your notes, we're saying it this way. Shackles fell off. Even as believers, we still sometimes live as if we are still in chains, but the Lord wants us to let those chains fall away. Jesus wants to break the shackles, keeping us from knowing freedom found in Jesus. He wants to break those shackles. And I'm telling you today, particularly if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, that if you've been living still with shackles, like you're still in chains, He wants to break those chains. He wants those to fall loose even today. Now those who are without Christ, they're shackled by sin. It's only through an encounter with Jesus those chains will ever fall off. When he rocks our world, we are no longer chained to wrong decisions or sinful nature. There may be those here today who feel that they are chained to wrong decisions or a sinful nature or an addiction or a difficult situation or something they would like to forget. Well, today God wants to break that chain that keeps us from knowing the freedom that we could have in being his servant.
Look at verses 30 and 31. Verses 30 and 31. The Philippian jailer asked the question that our life should lead others to ask. What must I do to be saved? Now, maybe the jailer had heard the singing and the prayers that took place in his jail. If he lived there on the premises. Maybe he heard previously Paul and Silas preaching somewhere in the streets of Philippi or something that was about them that caused him to come in, particularly that he saved their life, saved him from taking his own life, to call him to ask in the most biblical, spiritual sense of the phrase, what must I do to be saved? Paul explained to him about the good news of Jesus, not only him, but also to his household. And they were all saved and he baptized them. Salvation came to the jailer came to that home when they also believed and also to others in that city. Paul and Silas' life led to their persecutor to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? He went from being a part of the beating to throwing them to jail, putting them in stocks, leaving them with their wounds unattended to bringing them into his own home, attending to their wounds and praising and rejoicing with them. You see, the jailer wasn't just saved from death. He wasn't just saved for eternal life to heaven, which probably should be enough, but he was transformed, which is the result of true salvation. What kinds of questions will people ask of you and me because of our life? Some article in a magazine about living the American dream. They interviewed a couple who worked hard all of their life, saved up so that they might be able to move to Florida they might be able to buy a boat and be able to hunt seashells. Oh, doesn't that sound nice? That sounds like the American dream, doesn't it? But can I tell you, if that's all that you do and all that you want in your life, it is really the American tragedy. Because you want people to want to ask more than where can I find seashells? To ask him, where might I find peace? Where I might have hope? Where might I find love? Because the thing that people need the most or that they want the most is sometimes love and belonging, and they find out what they need the most, finding that Jesus is the answer. So what can you do to bring real transformation? You can't. If you're following along in your notes, only God can bring salvation and change. Kind of lets us off the hook about the people that we're praying for, being not wanting to put names down. That might bring too much stress in my life, but all you really need to do is to be submissive to the Lord Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to invite this person. I'm going to try to share with this person as well. Foundations are shaking for those who need Jesus. Shut doors are open, but we have to walk through. Shackles come off. Sins are forgiven. And all in Christ no longer have to live as if we are in change. Earlier, I told you just a moment ago, I said, you know, if you still feel like you're living in change, and sometimes believers do, they're not in, they don't have to live like they are chained anything in this world any longer. So what can you do? We learn from Paul and Silas. We learn that power experienced in obedience. Power is experienced in obedience. As they were obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, they observed and watched the power of God at work. In response to God's grace in your life, when you realize what he's done for you, is joyful obedience. Continue to fight the good fight Keep your relationship with the Lord Jesus in check and growing. Confess your sins daily. Be ready to move forward and find yourself faithful and obedient as well. But also we understand we need to pray for God's presence. Now God's always present with us. And those who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. He's never going to leave us. 
but we want to be able to pray that we might be able to observe and know his presence in our life and recognize that as we're called upon to make disciples and share with others, that the Lord's always at work at somebody around us. The Lord's knocking on somebody's door. We don't know, somebody in our home, somebody we work with, somebody in our neighborhood, on our team, in our class, wherever we may be, the Lord's some, working on somebody who needs to know Jesus and he wants to use us to be an influencer and to help other people to come to know Jesus. Then also, praise and worship Jesus, the Almighty God and Savior. Praise and worship Jesus every day, regardless of the circumstances, no matter what's happening in this world, no matter what's happening in your world. The gospel, when you accepted the gospel, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, Jesus rocked your world whether you knew it or not. Came into your life and he's changing us. He's transforming us, continuing to do so. And he wants the gospel to rock the world of those who need to know Jesus who are around you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the truth found in your word. We thank you, Father, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for the salvation that you have provided. For each one here today, many who've already called upon you today, Lord, and are walking with you and continuing to grow here today, Father, is part of that demonstration of the love for you. Maybe here today, Father, also are those who do not know you as Lord and Savior for whatever reason or other, maybe... Some here are seekers, maybe some are family members, have come with friends, maybe some listening today. Father, would you do a great work? And would you, as you work in their life, Father, today, and because they're here, we know that uh, they have an opportunity to accept the free gift of salvation. Thank you, Father, for the grace that's been given. We pray for all believers that any change that would hold us down, that they may not any longer, but that we may be ready to turn everything over to you. In our submission to you, we recognize the chains are already off and we can live not as if they are still on. We thank you, Father, for those who went before us, Paul and Silas and those in Philippi that became believers and others who continued to share so that we might be able to know Jesus as well. And we thank you, Father, for that, the opportunity we've had to come to know Jesus. Now, Father, we pray that we may have take advantage of the opportunities to share Jesus with others. Pray for all those who are on the altar today, names of those who are lost or unchurched, multiple names. Father, we pray that all of these may come to know Christ. We pray for those who laid the card down and those who are praying. Father, give them opportunity also to be able to invite and to share the good news. Show us, Father, how we can represent you in a fashion that is worthy of our, the calling of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name we lift these prayers.